This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. What I'm going to talk to you about for the next couple of weeks is the New Covenant. And I want to talk to you specifically this morning about the blood of Jesus. Now, you need to be aware that I'm breaking the number one rule of church growth. I'm serious. You think I'm making a joke, but I'm being, being just as serious as I can be. The number one rule of church growth is do not talk about the blood of Jesus. Don't talk about blood because it's a gross thing. It sounds barbaric. People don't want to hear about the blood of Jesus. Well, folks, without the blood of Jesus, we got nothing. I'm sorry that that, you know, rankles church growth people or, or whatever, but the blood of Jesus is the most important thing we can know about. So I want to start in, uh, in Matthew chapter 26. And uh, uh, here's the story of the Last Supper. Jesus, um, well, without getting into the context of it, you know a lot of what happened at the Last Supper just before Jesus was betrayed and went to the cross. Let's start reading in verse 26. It says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave them th- gave thanks and said, uh, gave it unto them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament. Now, the word testament and the word covenant are one and the same. So you could translate it either way. It's not an incorrect translation, but a, a, a more um, consistent translation, because the Old Testament doesn't talk about, doesn't use the word testament, it uses the word covenant. As far as the Jews are concerned, they know about covenants. Testament is just another way of saying covenant. So he's saying this blood or this cup is is uh, the new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. Now the word covenant means to cut. That's all it means. It means to cut. But the picture behind that is that there is a cut made in the flesh of an individual, and that cut causes blood to be released or blood to be shed. So the, there, as far as the Jewish mindset is concerned, uh, relative to the language as well as to the history and their custom, when Jesus talks about a new covenant, everybody understands that he's talking about some kind of blood, a bloodletting. Everything about the sacrifices was about the letting or the shedding of blood. So my question is this, why are the disciples not questioning this new covenant in his blood? Turn back with me or turn over with me to John chapter 6. Here's the reason that I'm asking the question. John chapter 6. Here's the story of Jesus walking on the water. First of all, he uh, multiplies the loaves and the fishes, feeds the 5,000. Then after that, he walks on the water, sends the disciples to the other side of the Sea of of Galilee. And in the middle of the night, they're in trouble out there. And Jesus comes walking onto them on the water. They wind up on the other side of the sea the next day. Well, everybody's looking for Jesus, knowing full well that Jesus sent his disciples away, but he stayed on this side of the sea. So everybody's looking on this side of the sea for him, saying, where is he, where is he? And then word comes that he's on the other side, and they can't figure out, well, how do you get to the other side? So then they take ships, and they sail to the other side. They come to Capernaum. Now, when they get there, the Bible says... um, uh, well, verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there on the other side, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side in Capernaum of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? How'd you get here? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. In other words, Without answering his question, without answering the question of how'd you get here, he could have said, oh, I walked on the water. You should have seen it. Man, it was so cool. <laughs> to say a word about it. 
Instead, he says, you're looking for me for the wrong reason. I know you want to be around me, but you want to be around me for the wrong reason. You want to be around me, not even because I'm doing miracles. You want to be around me because you ate the the food that I provided yesterday. Labor not for the meat which perish, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him has the God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now, folks, religious people always ask what sounds like the right stuff. And Jesus answered and said, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he sent. In other words, quit trying to work your way into my good grace and just believe in me. Folks, that's good advice today. Quit trying to make God like you and believe in what Jesus said that he was and who he is and what he said to do. Then they said, therefore, unto him, what sign showest us then that thou that we may see and believe in thee? What doest thou? What dost thou work? See, everybody wants to see some physical evidence. Now, you would think in the beginning of this, that they're on the right track. Hey, we've, where's Jesus? He was here yesterday. Now he's on the other side. Let's go to the other side. Well, that seems like a good thing to do, doesn't it? And Jesus says, you're here for the wrong reason. Now they're asking for a sign. Well, how can we know? What dost thou work? Verse 31 says, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, why are they talking about bread? Because Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes yesterday. So they're talking about manna. They're saying, well, wait a minute. You multiplied loaves and fishes yesterday. You're going to show us a sign. How about the sign of Moses? He gave them bread from manna, uh, bread from heaven called manna. How about that? Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. In other words, quit worrying about Moses. The bread I'm talking about is from heaven. It's what God gives you, not what Moses gave you. Quit trying to go back and relive the law or experiences in the law. By the way, it's interesting that people start, uh, people in Jesus' day were looking at manna like, wow, manna was such a great thing. But manna in the day that it was given became something that the people hated. They said, man, can't we have something else? Well, we've got manna everywhere. I mean, there are only so many manna stew recipes you can come up with. So he said, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, he, which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Now, they're still thinking naturally. They're thinking, oh, you mean you can give us bread that we can eat one time and never have to bake any bread again? Jesus said unto him, I am that bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you, but I said unto you, that you also have seen me and believe not. Folks, believing is a choice. You're not convinced because of something you see that all of a sudden you believe whether or not you want to. Believing is always a choice. And the people that are always looking for signs, and I'm going to say this like it's somebody else instead of you, but it might be you too. Because we do this in other things. We might believe in Jesus as Savior, but we're looking for signs to believe him for healing. Talking to somebody the other day or got an email from somebody the other day. Said, Pastor Mike, I believe in healing, but I just believe that there might be hindrances to me receiving. Well, the Bible says you can have what you say. This guy just said there are hindrances. 
Now, what he means, I understand where he's coming from. Been there myself. No, no criticism meant here or intended. But what he's saying is, I'm not seeing the results as fast as I want to see them, so what's wrong? What does that mean? That means he's looking for a sign. Same as this guy, these guys. See, folks, anything you have to have physical evidence for to prove that the Bible is true means you're not really believing in the Bible. That is the greatest stumbling block of faith, and people don't even know what they're doing. Because faith, by and large, hasn't been taught. We try to overcome that. But that's exactly how it works. Anything you've got to have evidence for, anything you have to have some kind of physical evidence or physical circumstance to tell you that the Bible is true means you're not believing in the Bible. It means you're believing in what you see. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. Worst thing you can have is evidence outside of the Bible. Because if you have evidence, for example, some people believe in healing and all of a sudden they feel better the next day and they think, oh, praise God, it's working. Why? Because you feel better? What are you going to do two days from now when you feel worse? Well, those same people say, well, I guess it stopped working. Well, the Bible didn't change from the first time that you spoke the word to when you felt better or when you felt worse. The Bible's the same either way. Smith Wigglesworth used to say this. He said, when I, uh, how do you say it? He said, when I have physical evidence for what I'm believing for, I have a tendency to think that I'm strong in faith. But that's when I'm the weakest. He said, I'm the strongest in faith when there is absolutely nothing to support what the Bible says except the Bible. That's strong faith. And see, that's, that's exactly opposite the way that mankind usually thinks. So these guys are looking for a sign. They need Jesus to prove something. Folks, he just multiplied loaves and fishes to feed 5,000. That's like Moses talking to God in the burning bush saying, Lord, give me a sign. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. God speaking to him out of a burning bush saying, go stay to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, well, I'm going to need a sign for that. <laughs> You're talking to a bush that's on fire and not being burned up. And you need a sign. And that's literally, folks, that's the way it works. There's never enough signs for anybody. Sooner or later, you're going to have to choose to believe just because you choose. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. The chastisement of your peace was upon him. That's provision. That's the penalty or the uh, uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty. And by his stripes, you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect them to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, 
building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Verse 36, I said unto you that that you also have seen me and believe not. I could read this whole chapter, and I I really would prefer to do that, but just for the sake of time, I'm not going to do it. Skip down to verse 41. Then the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Let me ask you a question. Did he tell the truth or not? Well, then what are they murmuring about? I want you to see the pattern that happens here, and it's going to happen throughout the whole chapter. The pattern is people get uncomfortable with what he says, so they don't like it. And they don't stop to think, they don't stop to judge, is what he said true? If it's true, then if I'm upset about it, shouldn't I be looking at me instead of what he's saying? So they murmured because he said he came down from heaven. And then they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, the fa- whose father and mother we know? In other words, you can't come down from heaven. We know your daddy. Jesus answered and said, murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the father which has seen me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. In other words, he's saying the only way you're going to come to me is if you yield to what the Holy Ghost is telling you, the conviction of God on the inside is telling you. Let me put that in simpler terms. You can't come to God if you're offended. You can't accept the things of God if you're offended. Now, a lot of people think that their offense is righteous anger or justified in some righteous way. And it never is. Yeah, but what if somebody did wrong? You still don't have a right to be offended. The question is, is what he said true? If what he said is true, there's never a reason or a right to be offended. He goes on in verse 47. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, who that believeth on me have everlasting life. I am that bread of life. And he talks about man in the wilderness. Your father ate the man in the wilderness, but I'm the bread that comes from heaven. The living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus said in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, meaning him, he shall live forever. And the bread which I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, folks, please understand, cannibalism is very, very, very much frowned upon in Judaism. So when Jesus is talking about giving him his flesh to eat, they're thinking, law of Moses, you got to be kidding. There is no way that's right. Well, Jesus isn't talking specifically about taking a chunk off of his arm. He's talking about offering himself, his body and his blood for mankind. And you have to be a partaker of that body and that blood of Jesus if you're going to receive the life that he came to give us. But did they stop and say, wait, 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 hold on, wait a minute. What do you mean? Nobody's asking for clarification. Nobody's saying, wait a minute, Jesus. Look, we know that you always tell us the truth, but this is something that's really hard for us to understand. What are you talking about? Not a word. They just start murmuring among themselves. They just get upset because they didn't like what he said. Then Jesus said unto them, verse 53, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, why doesn't Jesus, please, please, please stick with me here for a minute. Why doesn't Jesus do what we think would be walking in love and stop and say, look, I know you guys are having a hard time with this, so let me explain. He doesn't. He hammers down. He said, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
That's what he's doing. Matthew was there. This is eyewitness account. Verse 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Um, he goes on and speaks more about that. Verse 59, These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear this? Now, who can hear it literally means, How in the world are we supposed to accept this? In other words, many of his disciples are saying, Jesus just went over the, the deep end here. Everybody knows this can't be right. Now, folks, this is a guy they've seen do miracles. This is a guy that they've seen raise, uh, well, at this point, John uh, Lazarus hadn't been raised from the dead. But most of the people here have seen Jesus heal the cripples, open blind eyes, bring sight to the blind and, and hearing to the deaf, cleanse lepers. I mean, there's hardly anything. They've seen him walk on water. They just saw him walk on water. He's multiplied the loaves and the fishes. What more can this guy do to prove who he is? But his disciples are saying, well, I don't know about this. I don't know. Who can possibly accept this? When Jesus knew it in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? Notice he did not say, don't be offended at this. Notice he didn't wink to his twelve, the twelve and say, I'll explain later. He said, does this offend you? Which means offense is just as much a choice as believing in Jesus. Nobody's forced to be offended in anything. You choose to be. Jesus then answered and said, and if you see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before. In other words, he's saying... And if my words are proven by me returning to heaven, what you going to do then? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. Notice verse 64. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Now, everybody looks the same. Everybody looks like they're part of the crowd. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. For all the good things that you're doing. We want to be right here with you. We want to see the power of God. We want to get the tingles and the, the goosebumps when good stuff happens. But Jesus knows not everybody in the crowd is equal. There are some people that look like they believe in him and they don't. And there's at least one, Judas, that's going to betray him. Jesus, in other words, wasn't fooled by the faces of the crowd. Just because somebody smiles at you doesn't mean they're on your side. And Jesus wasn't taken in by it. So he goes further and says in verse 65, Therefore I said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given of him unto him of my father. In other words, you're going to have to act spiritually if you're going to follow Jesus. Now this is their problem. Their problem is they don't want to act spiritually. They want to judge this based on their own thinking and understanding. Think about how stupid that is. People that don't know God are going to judge Jesus by what they think they know. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That means left him and left him for good. Now, how many is many? 
What are we talking about? We're talking most of the crowd? We're talking 70% of the crowd? Talking 90% of the crowd? I see the implication that it's a lot of people. I see the implication that there's more gone than are left. That more are going to leave than are going to stay. You judge for yourself. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said unto the twelve. Now, these are the close guys. These are the guys that he's teaching how to do the same things that he does. These are the guys that he's delivered authority over sickness and disease and to cast out devils and stuff like that. These are the guys that have been working hand in hand with him. Jesus said, guys, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you mad. And, and, and I'm really going to need your help to get all these people back. Is that what he did? But notice what Jesus said. Jesus just simply asked the disciples, you're going to be offended too? You're going to go away also? Then Simon Peter answered, I love Peter's answer, says, Lord, where are we going to go? Not exactly a ringing endorsement so far. (laughs) Not exactly, no, Lord, we would never leave you. It's like, well, you know, we gave up that fishing business and uh, where, where would we go? We're kind of dependent on you now to live, so... Lord, where will we go? Now he turns it around and he says, you have the words of eternal life. In other words, the reason he's saying where are we going to go is not, well, we don't have any place better. He's saying we realize, even though we not, may not be any, any less inclined to be offended at this as anybody that just left, we know that what you tell us is true. Now, folks, this is the way you stop offenses in your life. The question is not, does this make me feel comfortable? The question is, is what I heard true? If what I heard is true, then I need to change my comfort zone. If what I heard is true, then I need to change what makes me feel comfortable or uncomfortable. Because I ought to always be comfortable with the truth, even if it comes out in a little different way. Because the truth is the only thing that counts. And God's word is truth. So Peter says, where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure. I love what he says. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. If anybody else in that crowd had believed the same thing, they wouldn't have left. The ones that did leave, had they believed and were sure that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, they wouldn't have left no matter what he said. And that's the thing that keeps Peter and the twelve in place. Now, here's my question. Remember where we started over the Last Supper? This cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. What changed from John chapter 6, where everybody is upset about eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood, to Matthew chapter 26 at the Last Supper, where Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, drink all of it, and nobody says a word. What changed? Peter's endorsement in John chapter 6 is not, oh, we know what you're saying is true. He's saying, well, we don't understand it any better than anybody else, but we believe in you. Why? What's changed? Look with me to Matthew chapter uh, 16. Uh, Let's start reading in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some say Elias, that means Elijah. And others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, folks, uh, you need to understand something. Judaism does not believe in reincarnation. Reincarnation is not part of the Judaic philosophies. So why are people thinking he's somebody from the past? It's easier for them to believe something that's contrary to their core beliefs and their core principles and the law of Moses that they say they follow than it is to believe that he's the one that was promised. So Jesus asked them and says, but who do you say that I am? And folks, that is the issue for mankind. Who do you say that I am? Doesn't matter who other people say or what other people say about Jesus. Who do you say he is? Simon Peter answered and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ means Messiah. You're the promised one. Now, what was the, the Christ promised to do? Be a Savior. Be a sacrifice. Simon Peter answers and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 16. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, folks, you remember what he talked to in, in John chapter 6 about? He said, You can't come to me except the Father draw you. In other words, you're going to have to listen to what God's saying on the inside in order to accept me. Because there's always going to be reasons on the outside not to. There's always going to be thoughts, there's always going to be circumstances, there's always going to be questions, there's always going to be something in every aspect of the Word of God, whether it's related to Jesus specifically in salvation or whether it's related to any of the promises or the blessings that He obtained for us. There's always going to be something standing in the way. So it comes down to a choice. Notice verse 21. Here's, here's what I, the whole reason I wanted to come over here. Verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show The word show means to clearly teach. From that time forth, Jesus began to clearly teach unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. From Matthew chapter 16 forward, he's clearly teaching them, not everybody else, but he's clearly teaching them privately. Here's how it's going to be when I go to Jerusalem. I'm going to have to suffer a lot of things. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised again the third day. Jesus expects these guys to spend those three days checking their watch. To spend these three days excited because now we're here. Here's the new day. Here's the new covenant. Certainly they accepted part of it. And that's the reason why in the the Last Supper, nobody is arguing with him when he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Why? Because he's been clearly teaching them for weeks. Here's how it's going to be. There's nothing more important than the blood of Jesus. For by it, the punishment for spiritual death was paid. And therefore, we are redeemed from sin sickness, and poverty. Thanks for joining us today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. So faith begins where the will of God is known. God's Word reveals His will to you. And once you know His will, there is nothing that can stop you from receiving what God has for you. 
That is the number one problem, the number one objection that everybody has, no matter what the area is, healing or whatever, that is the number one objection that people have. They don't know if it's God's will for them. Well, how are we going to find out? The answer is in the Word. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.